Thank you all for checking out this week's episode. Once again, I'm John. If you like what you heard and saw today, subscribe to our YouTube channel. Find us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. And check out our brand new merch store with hats, coffee mugs, t-shirts, other cool stuff coming down the pipeline. Again, thank you all for support. Be safe and see you next week. How's it going, everyone? John here, the host of Spirit Talk. And today we welcome Frank Rob to the show, a.k.a. Alligator Rob. Uh, Frank has spent 28 years in the field of wildlife conservation. And he's the founder of the Environmental Education Awareness Research Support and Services uh, nonprofit organization. And uh, Frank, it's great to have you on here today. Thanks, John. Uh, pleasure to be here, buddy. It's uh, when I started the podcast, there's certain avenues or different ideas and concepts I want to talk about, obviously, from the security world to martial arts. Uh, to mental health and leadership and fitness and stuff. But I think one of the areas I really gravitated towards is conservation um, in wildlife. And I've had friends from Harry Turner from the Wildcat documentary uh, to Andrea Crosta, uh, who started Earth League International. And so I did did this huge two last two years of rabbit hole stuff from ivory protection uh, to the invasive species, especially in Florida, uh, where I spent a lot of my time. And uh, I figured it's about time I have someone else on here again in the wild, uh, wildlife and conservation field. Oh, happy to be here. Happy to talk about it, man. Yeah, thanks for uh, thanks for thinking of me. And uh, I followed you for a while, and obviously I gravitated towards the alligator Rob handle and all your social media. Um, but I guess I never realized, and maybe before we even get to that part, how did you kind of fall in love with wildlife? Because for someone to dedicate almost thirty years now to this. Was there a catalyst or something in your childhood or maybe your parents or your siblings where you're kind of like, I, I need to do as much as I can to help animals and wildlife? Without a doubt. Yeah. So I started at a pretty early age. I want to say had early memories with my dad. Uh, he was a professional land surveyor and we would go out on the, you know, the weekends and we'd cut property lines out and cutting property. If nobody's ever done any land surveying, it's one of those jobs that is, it's a very hard job. And uh, yeah, my pop did it successfully for a very long time, but we'd cut out boundary lines on the people outside of people's properties. And sometimes this was in the middle of nowhere. And those property lines might be, you know, anywhere from a thousand feet to 5,000 feet. You didn't know. He'd turn an angle and go like, we're cutting that way. So we'd get up in the woods and pair of machetes and, you know, start cutting. And you'd come across all kinds of interesting wildlife, uh, snakes, bats, uh, you name it, something was usually crawling around on you. You were going through the middle of it. And it was a great opportunity for my dad to be able to pick those things up and show them to me, uh, talk to me about them, you know, where they, you know, this is the, you know, this is, a, this is different. This is a uh, yellow rat, yellow rat snake with the red pupils and a red tongue. You know, and there's, this is a variation that you usually see in the Everglades and stuff like that. And that was uh, that was a huge part of it. And then I want to say as a freshman in high school, I started helping my, uh, my uncle, Gator Bill, you know, hence the Gator theme, um, catch alligators, and uh, yeah, it, it kind of became a profession from that point. I, I knew early on in doing this, I wanted to look at things that not only benefited the wildlife but benefited us. So uh, you know, I went back to school, got my biomedical degree, and started really digging into all that. It's interesting, and maybe it's a good starting point. The idea that animals and humans were all in the same circle of life, right? But the one, if if something's wrong with us, it could be affecting the animals. And I think, at least for me, at the start of the pandemic, and obviously you're here now, it's just one of these things where you're kind of like, what was the correlation between when the human race started suffering and going through everything with the pandemic? How did that correlate to the lifestyle of all the animals, specifically alligators? And I know you've talked about a lot about the correlation of how the American alligator is directly 
affected by our actions or inactions. And so maybe that's a good part to kind of start off here. Yeah, that's, it's an excellent, it's, that's a very deep question, uh, a very excellent question. There's, it's a hard thing to under, to explain, I guess, an alligator's biggest weakness is also his biggest strength, which, you know, with all crocodilians, they're, it's their intelligence. Uh, they're a brilliant animal, a unihemispheric brain, very similarly related to the dolphins. I mean, they're, they're, they're super, super smart. They can fix, they can solve problems and work their way through things. And they're consistently finding easier ways to do things. And that, the biggest part of that is usually with feeding, uh, which sometimes comes hand in hand with fishing and a lot of other uh, public use kind of things. And when that stuff started going away in the pandemic, uh, pandemic um, a lot of that changed. You know, you've seen with all wildlife, you've seen a lot of wildlife traveling in areas they weren't traveling in before because the people just weren't there. So you'd see them end up in odd places, maybe more so than any other time. Um, I, I know in, in some of those circumstances, they were already doing it. And that just allowed people to be focusing on it like super heavy because everybody was stuck in their in their cave for a while. But um, yeah, it, it definitely, I think, changed up their habitats and, and, their, and the way they're moving. Does that have a direct correlation to, say, an alligator attacking someone? Or is that more territorial, not really conducive to a change of behavior? It's very rare we actually have an alligator, you know, attack. Uh, it's usually and typically it's people that are either just super unaware of their surroundings or they believe they're bulletproof and nothing can happen to them. I mean, you're in the security world, so you understand that as well as anybody. Right. Uh, complacency is kind of at an all-time high in our country. Um, just the, the ability that you believe, hey, you know what? This could never happen to me. There's no way anything could anything like this could ever happen to me. And then the awareness factor, which people aren't just, they're not keeping, keeping aware of what's going on in their surroundings. That can fix a lot of those problems with those, you know, I say makeshift attacks. For most part, it's, uh, it's people making a huge mistake. Every now and then, you know, I've caught thousands of alligators, and every now and then I'll meet one that is a legitimate rogue bad dude. I mean, just, just like people. You know, right. every now and then you meet that one guy, you go, that dude's trouble. Like, that dude, I'm going to have trouble with that guy. I know it, it's coming. Uh, I need to get myself out of, the, out of the predicament before it goes that way. Wildlife's the same way. Every now and then you meet one who is something different. You know, you can almost see you can almost see it working and kind of go, okay, that's that's a problem. But for the for the most part, it's people screwing up. 99.9% uh, .9 of the time, it's us being screw-ups. When you hear stories of, say, a, a, a kid crawling inside some, a, another a neighbor's doghouse and getting bit or a person that gets bit by another animal, it's like it seems like the laws are very protective of stupid people doing stupid things. Kind of like what you're saying. It's like at what point do the animals have rights? And maybe that's not the right way to look at it. But for me, I'm always like, well, hold on a second. Why are we putting this dog down or this – we're going to shoot this bear and euthanize this mother elk that stampeded someone. Cause why? Cause it was like, it just, I, what could be done with that part of it? Well, see, that's the, the weird situation where I, I see both ends of the spectrum. Cause I've worked, uh, I've worked the nuisance side of things. and I've worked the conservation side of things. And I try to explain to people conservation is kind of a, a cube. Um, there's about six or seven sides to it. And every time you think you understand every side and you see a side and you, it's like, man, that might not be a pretty side to this cube, but it's part of the conservation side. And sometimes that deals with having to be, having to do away with an animal. Really, you know, uh, if you deal with something that's hurt a person, uh, whether or not it was their, that, that animal's fault or not, 
it's kind of already happened at that point. And usually the, the most reasonable thing to do is to move away from that animal, which really, really sucks. So there's, there's nothing glorious in having to put a, put an animal down or move on from it, but we still are the more important thing than they are. Right. Uh, it, it's just, man, it's a, it's a hard concept to wrap your head around, but there's, like you're saying, there's different levels to that too. Um, if there's somebody being a, an utter, an utter jackass that gets right. themselves hurt by something, yeah, it's uh, it's it's tough, man. It's tough. It, it and you you got to realize that you know, and I think you do that. Again, a, a large percentage of the time, it is someone being a screw up that causes these things to happen, and the animal has to pay for it. But again, uh, sometimes people don't walk away from those that jackassery either. Excuse my language. No, I'm all for it. So when it comes to educating general public or even uh, whoever, whether it's federal, state, city council, whatever it is, is there ever any overlap with laws and stuff, information that comes out where it makes your job more difficult with your organization in terms of if you educate a city, well, the city law might be different than the state law or the state law is different than the federal law. Like, How do you kind of navigate that overlap or is there a push to have something where it's universally, like universal like conservation laws? I don't think you'll ever see a universal conservation law. There's just, there's too many different things in too many places and too many, too many people with too many different ideas that just can never, they'll never correlate or, uh, yeah, it's like, uh, it's like so many things. It's, it's, it turns political is what it turns a lot of times, which is sad too, because uh, conservation should be beyond politics, but it, it somehow finds a way to get itself back in there. A big, you know, a big education, like you're saying, is a huge part of what we do. I mean, I, there's a local city that we're doing education for uh, this week. We'll be there talking to their employees about, hey, here's things to worry about. Here's things to be to keep yourself out of this predicament. Don't do this or don't do this. Um, you know, we do that for we did that for Blue Origin last week out at the Kennedy Space Center. We do it for NASA, wow. for DOD, uh, all the way on through, and it's a consistent battle and education is the key that answers all that, that unlocks all this. It's just a matter of, you know, can you, can you have one voice saying all that, or is it going to be a million different people with a million ideas pushing that education from different angles, which is kind of the truth of it. There's no, uh, there's no one, there's no one person that's really, I mean, I, a lot of us have tried to be that person, but there's no one voice saying it the same way. And now, obviously, like myself, you have relationships with gay wardens and people in that field. It's like, how vital is that open communication with those other groups and people that are obviously on the same page with what you're trying to accomplish? Oh, it's huge. Yeah, I work hand I work hand in hand with law enforcement uh, all the time. You know, we just finished doing a a big uh, educational talk and a safety uh, video for our local sheriff's office here too, and that's that's huge. Making sure they know, hey, look. This is this is where we stand on things. This is the way things should be handled. Please let's start a let's start a, a discussion and make sure things are handled the same way every single time. That makes all the difference in the world. You, again, it's 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 education. It's the same thing you're talking about. Getting the information out there and having people on the same page that you're on. It, there's no better way of going about it. Now, obviously, you've had your fair share of calls with people. Hey, I need to get this alligator or snake, whatever it is. But your famous one. Uh, with Chance the Snapper in Chicago, I didn't realize when that story first broke, because I follow a lot of, I like weird new stuff like that. Now talking to you and doing research on you, I didn't realize that was you. And so how does that even call come about? And 
And I just love the picture with like the mayor and everyone behind you. Like it's such an iconic, really cool thing you were part of. Yeah, it's a, it's one of those conversations that always gets me very emotional. Uh, you know, I, I try to hide it, but it's, um, yeah, it's a, uh, I guess that was 2019. It's going on four years. It'll be four years ago this July, but um, I'm very well known for the work I do. Um, you know, very, very blessed to be the voice for a lot of this stuff when, when it comes up and it, they, they up there in Chicago had been chasing this gator around for a while and weren't able to work it out. So they reached out the state of Florida and some local gator farms and people. And luckily enough, everybody was able to drop my name and say, Hey, you want the guy there? There's your guy right there. Go talk to Frank Rob. You know, he does stuff like this. This is, this is the fellow you want. And when it comes to capturing an animal like that, what's the like the policy in place for, is it rehabilitation or re, put it right back in the habitat it's supposed to be in it? Like, how do you kind of, if something's been living in a person's backyard for a couple of months, obviously they're used to the human interaction and the certain shelter and stuff that the yard's providing. But when, it, when you have to get rid of those animals, is it tough to reintroduce them back to where they belong? Yeah, there's no really reintroducing an animal like that into the wild. It's like that one up there in Chicago, Chance, as they called him. Yeah. I think it was between what Chance, uh, the Snapper, Frank Lloyd White, Ruth Gator Ginsburg, and uh, Karak Obama. Yes, those are the, the four name choices they went on. Which, I mean, I was watching this all before it happened up there. I thought it was hilarious. But um, there's no real reintroducing an animal like that that's never been in the wild back to the wild. Uh, that was an animal that was somebody's pet for a long, long term that they had turned out. Yeah, it's a... Uh, there's some species of wildlife that you can, you know, you can be able to have reintroductions like that with. Crocodilians are, they're, they're not ideal pets in the first place. There are people that successfully keep them um, to do educational programs and stuff like we do. We keep a few for educational stuff that are, I mean, that's what they do for a living. They have, no, there's no intention of those animals ever being released. When it's time to take them somewhere to, to get a smaller one or to trade them back in, you take them to a approved facility where they can live their life off and happiness, which is what happened to Chance. You know, he's at the St. Augustine Alligator Farm, yeah. a place that they literally, they breed crocodilians to sell to different zoos and places around the world. Those animals have never been in the wild. Those are animals that are there just for conservation, educational-based talks, just like me and you were having. It's, now, obviously, you've probably been asked this question a ton of times, and I know the difference between uh, crocodile and alligator, but I've never, I guess my question is, if they were next to each other, who establishes dominance first? I mean, is it, say they're both equal size in an ideal scenario, is there one breed or one ant type that would oversee the other in terms of like dominance? It's, they're, you know, they're just like us. So there's 26 species of crocodilians. Some people now argue 28. That's what a handful of years ago, there was 23. It, yes. is, it is finding new things, but um, they're all different. They all have different personalities. The only place you really you find alligators and crocodiles together in the world are you know are right here and now that's being argued that there's a little bit of that happening in mexico now too right but um yeah that's right here in florida they they're not the interacting type um i know we've raised up some gators that made it to nine feet and those are down uh down in uh a place in south florida now and those gators whoop up on crocodiles. I mean, when they see them, they purposely go, okay, you're the guy, oh, you're different, and me and you are fixing to have at it. But they're, uh, where crocodiles can be more communal, uh, alligators are a very solo species. There's no one that whoops up on the other. They, they all want their space, and they all want to kind of do their own thing. 
when uh, every time there's like the someone releases a video of like this alligator walk across like a golf course and it's the thing's a monster. I love it because I'm like, holy, like this is a dinosaur. Like it can't, this thing is so amazing. It got this big without being killed or d getting murdered, whatever. But when you see something like that, there is got to be some sort of fear in people, like for someone like you, right? Like if you're called to kind of get this thing out of here, like the, I think the video, I think it was pre-COVID where it looked like this thing looked like Lake Placid or like one of those crazy alligator movies where it looked fake, but this thing was massive. It's like, is there a need for that that big of an animal to be out in the wild? Like, what's going to stop that outside of human taking care of it? There'd be no I – mean, alligators have no desire to have an interaction with a person. That is – these these interactions you see are typically aided by people feeding them okay. or, again, or just not just not being, not being aware and being very complacent, thinking something can't happen. An alligator in the wild is a ghost, man. They want nothing to do with people. Uh, it could be the – it could be the biggest alligator ever heard of. You know, you could have a 15 footer uh, laying on a bank somewhere uh, and you could be across the way or even paddling by and they're not gonna want anything to do with you. It's just not the way it works. Now, knowing that and being complacent about something still being like, it's never gonna happen. That's still a different story. But um, as my uncle used to always say, you never tempt the devil. You know what I mean? You, you, never, you never put it out there that, hey, I'm, I'm untouchable because that's the time something, something terrible happens. But they're not looking to have that interaction. Now, there's I'm, there's been some instances here over the past few years, like there was a elderly lady that got killed that was swimming in a, in a wild area. I saw area. that, yeah. Um, again, what, what are you doing? You're, temp you're tempting things, man. You're right. if you're tempting things you shouldn't be tempting. Those those are situations you can't blame on the animal. That's uh, that's a bad that's a bad result for the person and the animal. Anytime you have a bite like that, you have to first thing I always think about, like man. I feel terrible for that person and I feel terrible for that animal because not only is that person hurt or dead, that animal just bit the dust too. And it's something that could have probably very well been avoided. Yeah, I think that's what the point I was trying to get across. It's like when you, a lot of times when that news story breaks, you go, I, I read the comments, which I probably shouldn't, just to get pissed off. And a lot of yeah. people are like, you, you got, we got to curb this population of the animals, these alligators, what, or it's a snake bite, are we going to kill all these snakes? Or we, oh, it's like, she had every right to be there. And it's just like, well, hold on a second. The animal kingdom, we're part of that too. And it's like, I just wish, and I know we already talked about it, but there's something along the way where it's just like they had more rights in terms of, hey, if that alligator was going to our party attacking our daycare full of kids and we kill the alligator, I get it. But that's like me going to like an alligator den or a coyote den or seeing pups and picking up the pups. And you don't think those, I don't deserve to be bit or scratched or slashed. It's, it's just comical. Yeah, it's people still are more important than uh, you know than than an alligator's and a person's life is still more important than an alligator's life. It's the tough tough truth. Uh, I'm sure there's a lot of people we'd probably argue against that case on, but <laughs> that's still that's still the case. You know, our, our lives come first. But again, alligators aren't walking out and looking to have that kind of interaction with someone. That's not the that's not the way they operate. The last thing they want to do is see a person. Believe me, if they see a person, they're having a lot worse day than whenever you're seeing them because then you have everybody taking pictures of them and posting on the internet. And next thing you know, somebody's made a phone call about this to the to the to the to some agency, and they uh, they're di disposed of. And it's uh, it's a terrible situation. Is there a um, like a hunting license you can get to shoot alligators in Florida? Is it like deer? If it's like you have one tag, or like how's that work for that? There is a public water hunt that FWC does, uh, you can, I think it's 2,500 bucks. 
uh, you pay 2500 bucks, they give you two tags and you can go out into specific areas which are called AMUs or alligator management units and you can take a couple alligators. Uh, never done it, don't ever desire to do it. Um, there's people that enjoy it, that's more power to them. It's a big revenue source for uh, the oh, state of Florida. Yeah. yeah it's, uh, it, everybody has their things they enjoy, it's just not, not my thing. Yeah, no, I, I'm with you. Um, when in terms of, and I think part of that is like I understand. I grew up my my mom's side of the family is all dairy farmers up in Western New York, and with corn and like all the crop up there. The reason why they hunt, like, sure they go after the bucks and stuff like that, but they it's the they're they're a species where it's just going to destroy the crop. And it's like it's a part of their lifestyle. You got to feed the cows, and it's like the circle up there where it's like that's why I respect hunting. It's these people that. Do I think it would be cool to have if I had like an old library with a big crocodile like staring at me stuff? Sure. But I also up to the point now where it's like if they're not bothering me or my family or like even if they are, what can I do to make sure that animal's not affected by me? And it's like I think people, these big trophy hunters, or it's like, how hard is it to kill an eight-foot alligator in the water that's just on the beach somewhere? Or to shoot a zebra or it's just i don't get it i get the financial incentives of it i don't live in some of these cultures uh, like in africa where you can hunt an elephant because that money is going to feed that village or meat's going to feed the village for and so i think i think it's the, the we're kind of thrown into this idea of this where we're just kind of i get both sides it's like i'm just trying to navigate through here that's why having people like you on the podcast kind of helps me understand kind of the world you're living in yeah, it's not a it's not a binary thing. It's not a it's with some of the things. It's not a right or wrong thing. It's uh, can I wrap my head around that side of conservation? Um, which, like I said before, it's it's a very complicated cube. It's a very complicated cube, and that's uh, it, there's times where just like you, I don't understand it. I have no desire to go kill a zebra or kill an elephant. Right. Or it's <laughs> that's not that's not up my alley of things I want to do by by any any desire at all but um everybody's got their things man is that the truth what if <laughs> one of the hot topic issues out there right now is the invasive species obviously in florida um and i know so i guess to kind of lead it off how does that affect your job as it comes to preserving the livelihood of the actual species that are supposed to be living in your areas you work out of so this is excellent excellent question and you know here recently, I've been gathering more and more data on this. You know, we do a podcast through my nonprofit yes. called the EARS Podcast. It's E-E-A-R-S-S. And we just recently, the one we just did, we had a fellow named Robert Ozaboff. He's a virologist and an invasive and exotic species guy with UF, University of Florida. And, you know, what people don't realize behind all these exotic invasive species, you can argue that however you want to, it's a, that's a whole hot topic right now too. Is it exotic? Is it invasive? Is it either one now that the population's established? You can go, you can go on forever with that, but these animals bring their own things with them. They bring their own bacterium, bacterias, viruses, parasites, fungus. And this stuff is, it's, that's the scary part of this. It, having those animals here, that's something that, you know, wildlife and nature finds a way to balance itself out. Right. Uh, these other diseases and these parasites and things they're bringing with them, that's a whole different level. Um, we have these, you know, snake fungal disease now that's all the way, you know, it's, it's all the way up into the north end of Florida. We have parasites that are jumping out of the Burmese pythons and uh, into native species. We have 
these, this type of bacteria that came from some island in the middle of nowhere that's now effect, affecting uh, brown anoles in St. Petersburg. That And talking to this guy, uh, uh, Dr. Oz, uh, he was saying that there's a possibility that could jump into people. And if that does, it's a type of bacteria that doesn't uh, alert basophils, you know, which, or which are your, kind of your first responders to inflammation. And if that doesn't happen, you don't even know the things there. Your body never fights it. It kind of just eats you. I mean, there's all kinds of these crazy things going around that these animals are bringing with them. Uh, that it's just, it's a lot to wrap your head around, man. Uh, so it's, it's, again, it's not even about the iguanas and the geckos and the chameleons and whatever else it is. It's, it's the things they bring along with them that, they, that go hand in hand. So I guess I would definitely have to check out that episode because in terms of it's almost like, do they create these doctors, these organizations, do they create through research, the vaccine, like, how do you vaccinate? Does this something just run through a species and then it jumps to the next? Or like, how do you, because eventually it's like, I, I get the idea that I do think obviously nature does sort itself out. And, but if you, these foreign entities and these crazy bacteria and stuff, like how do you, how do you prevent that from jumping into the American alligator and affecting now it's now it's in your world. Now it's like, how do you stop this from jumping over like that? That's the, the problem they're trying to figure out. And so there's so many parts of that too. Uh, you have, you know, the world, the world's climate's changing. You have yep. uh, pollution, you have all these heavy metals, forever chemicals, uh, food supply. You have so many things within their world that are changing. And the more, the more we get these these high level pollutions, these high level pollutants involved, the more likely it is these different viral things and bacterial things are jumping from species to species, and that's how that's how it all starts going wrong. I mean, it's just I don't know that there's any any easy answer to that, and I, I, there might not be a real easy answer to that. Um, I know we just recently here had it, it's been an ongoing thing with alligators over here on the side we're at. I, I'm pretty sure across the state where you see sick ones, uh, one, I mean, top immune system in the world, top, right. like top of the line, blood uh, kills every known virus and bacteria on contact. I mean, the, the top of the food chain with it, as far as it comes. And you're seeing viruses get in their brains and like wipe them out where they just, they'll, they'll basically drown themselves. Uh, one of the, the guys who's a trapper up in the north end of the state found this gator that was twitching, making all kinds of crazy things on a golf course. And the same fella, uh, this Dr. Oz, he took this gator and they found a new type of virus in its brain. Um, he said when they did a necropsy on the thing, he, he called me. He's like, it had lesions all, all over its, uh, its spinal cord and its brain. And he's like, it looked like it looked like herpes. But whenever we went in there and actually uh, looked at the virus, it's a new type of virus called a chew virus that had never been seen in crocodilians. It's something that had jumped from snakes over to over to alligators. So it stuff like this is happening more and more and i don't think it's going away anytime soon it was I, I don't think there's any real answer to it as far as hey can we catch all the wild you know uh, you and give them all uh, a bath and get the snake fungal disease off them so they quit transmitted to this or that can we catch all the burmese pythons and give them a shot to get rid of the parasites so that the parasite that's small in them when they get in other things it won't become large i don't think there's any answer to it i really don't and what's sad is, a di I mean, alligators, I mean, you're literally a living dinosaurs, years and years and hundreds of thousands of years. And now, is this something that obviously, when it, when it say a Burmese python gets let loose or a hurricane knocks out some zoo and all this other crazy birds and frogs get into the wild and whatever, 
there's only so much stuff that nature has an effect on this. Like what humans have to be the reason why this stuff is now affecting animals or plant life. It's been around for hundreds of hundreds of thousands of years. Right. Oh yeah. Because yeah. nature doesn't create this stuff. Right. We're the blame for all of it. Without a doubt. We, we, we're the ones that are finding a way to screw things up. Yes. With, without a doubt. Yeah. It's what, one of the things that always makes me wonder about people, uh, you know, space flight's awesome. We live here on the space coast. It's very cool. It's like, do we just want to go somewhere else and screw something else up, or can we can we try to fix what we the problems we have here first, guys? It would be be pretty awesome. I mean, well, alligators in space are a pretty cool idea. Don't get me wrong, but um, <laughs> well, yeah, it's your point. Where I, and I love space exploration. Go to go everywhere, right? But it's like, have we even studied half the oceans or the streams or rivers or ponds? let alone the forests. It's like you hear about these new species being uh, found. It's like, well, it only could be a couple of months until they get killed because we do it some, something stupid. We don't have the, it's just, I love the sciences, but I think we need to spend more time to your point, understanding how to preserve the ecosystems and cultures and stuff we have here on our own planet. We're wiping stuff out, out at an astronomical rate. And, you know, Every now and then we are finding new species, which is very flipping cool, but we're wiping species out at just an astronomical rate. Seeing as it, we're talking about space, astronomical seemed like, like a good good perspective. I read something, well, just last week I read that they found this new uh, Amazon spider. It looks super crazy, like this big pink thing. But then you read about them, another like a special jaguar that's almost going extinct or could be wiped off, or the vaquita in the Sea of Cortez, which is being poached illegally. But then you see something like, oh, they're gonna bring the dodo bird back, or they're gonna they splice DNA here, they're gonna create this. It's like, at what point, like this idea of humans being God in that world? It's it's just it's not only is it fascinating, but it's super frightening. Yeah, I, I would uh, I'd agree with you. Yeah, with with the crocodilians alone, it's uh, what eighty four percent of them are critically endangered. Which I mean, they're they're getting wiped out for the uh, the oddest of reasons. You know, like the gharial over there in. Uh, the Middle East and India and stuff, their their sand is going away. The sand they use to nest, and it's it's one thing after another with each one of these species. And man, people aren't awake to that now and not realizing what's going on. It's uh, all this stuff's going away very fast. I uh, a couple of years before the pandemic, we did this food and wine event down the. I think I think it was I actually do think it was Cocoa Beach, but we had this event all advanced. And we're getting ready to do it. All these famous chefs from Food Network were coming in. And we get a call a couple hours before, hey, I think we found a turtle nest. The EAP's here. And I'm talking to this guy going, we'll put some fencing around it, like a couple of cones. No one's going to drink wine and step on them. But then they start realizing this whole beach is filled with these eggs. And so talking to this guy, I got to understand that see, the turtle eggs are so protected. And this whole layout where the event site had to move and the protection there. And so it's like, can you kind of talk about when stuff like that happens? Like how would two of you with – not only preserving like the ecosystems, but I guess security for certain stuff like that, where it's like, this is what needs to be done if you want to do this, especially in Florida. Yeah. That you're the place you're talking about is five minutes from my house. Uh, yeah. I live, I live in Coco, which you know, Coco is right around the Coco beach, right around the corner. We have one of the top uh, sea turtle nesting beaches in the, in the world uh, right here between Play Linda beach. And then, you know, all the way down South to Archie car there, but uh, yep. We take our sea turtles very seriously. It's a, uh, a huge huge source of our conservation and you know it's we're it's another species that man sea turtles are great and awesome 
but we realize we know so little about really their life cycle, how long they live, where they're, we have an idea where they go to, to go out and uh, spend most of their lives in the Sargasso Sea, but we're not exactly sure about all that. It's uh, every time we think we know something about those guys, we're learning something new, but yeah, with uh, wildlife security and far, as far as securing the wildlife, you can never go far enough. There's really, that's the way we always look at it. You go above and beyond. Uh, you, you go, you take every precaution you can possibly take for the wildlife's sake. Is there ever a time, or I'm sure there is, where you're doing that for one species, but it could affect another species or the uh, the local bird, the osprey population that's nesting and they got their rights. It's like, how do you kind of juggle all that stuff in an area, specifically Cocoa Beach Reef in Florida in general, where all these animals have these different things where it's going on at once with mating and all this stuff. And like, it must be kind of crazy where like, well, we got this issue, but that could affect this type of thing. Yeah, I listen to, uh, you know, the biologist out with the U.S. Fish and Wildlife talk about things like this all the time. That's not my job per se, but I know they consistently, them and FWC and, you know, your local counties and even your local city, like you're saying, they all have these issues and they all have different perspectives and different ways of looking at it and what's allowed and what's not allowed. And, uh, you know, if they're going to clear a lot and they find a hawk that's in a tree somewhere, this, this group says they can clear it, this group says they can't, you know, is it nesting season, is it not nesting season? everybody's got their different perspective and idea on it. Could you kind of talk us through what you're say, what's a busy week for you or what's a week in your, or a couple of days recently where you're kind of like all hands on deck with your organization? Uh, we did safety for Apple TV uh, here a couple of weeks ago where we were doing, did a, I don't know, I guess a little over a week of 20 hour days with them. Uh, you know, they were filming, filming a movie out there in the Kennedy space center and, you know, it was keeping uh keeping the actors away from having alligator interactions. And I think the coolest thing we had one night was a coral snake on set. Oh, it was, he was eating a red rat snake. It was the coolest flipping thing ever. And, uh, you know, one of the guys like, so what are you going to do? Like we're, we're on a wildlife preserve guys. We're going to watch him finish eating. Well, then what are you going to do? We're going to watch him crawl the way. And we're all going to go, yeah, man, good job. Hope your dinner was awesome. But, uh, our typical week is, you know, research. We do a lot of, uh, biodiversity research over here on, in, in Brevard County. So we look at different species traveling back and forth between habitat types. I mean, every day's uh, spotted skunks and possums and uh, all kinds of different snakes. It all, it just all depends on every day what's going on. And then, uh, you know, between the research we do in North Carolina with NC State and uh, then down in Belize, we're doing crocodile research with them. It's, it's a little bit of, little bit of everything and still doing some nuisance work when it shows up out there at the Kennedy Space Center and uh, for DOD occasionally too. Would you- And then a few around the county every now and then. You uh, you recently posted a picture, well you post a lot of like, when you're holding snakes and stuff and I'm deathly afraid. I think I've held the big snakes before because I think they're there, they're not gonna eat me or be there. It's when I don't know they're there where I, I'm just deathly terrified. It's like, it, it kind of along with education, when it comes to kids or even adults, to get people to kind of understand that a snake is a snake's more afraid of you than you are of it. And it's like, for me, it took the longest time to kind of realize I'd always be at the yard with a lawnmower. But like I, if I see a snake, I'm going to drop the mower blades. I, but now I'm just like, they, they're just, it's like, for me, it was like the education of it where it's like, I thought they're going to bite me and all this type of thing. And now I'm just like, I don't mind it actually. I wish, I wish snakes would chase me. It'd make my life so much easier. It'd make everything so much easier if I just go outside and maybe blow a whistle have them all come to me or, you know, uh, go, Hey guys, I'm here. Don't come get me. Whatever you do. Yeah. That'd be, that'd be great. It doesn't, doesn't work out that way. Yeah. They, uh, they're a 
secretive species, just like uh, crocodilians. They want they want nothing to do with you. I mean, they think about it. They've they've had a bad rap forever, man. Since the since the pretty oh, much beginning, everybody's wanted to kill them all. So uh, yeah, they their survival depends on them getting the heck out of Dodge and staying as cryptic and as well hooded hit as they can. And typically, in you know most neighborhoods uh, here in Florida, the snakes that are surviving are the most cryptic ones. You know, you got your your black racers and things, and then you got your yellow rat snakes that spend most of their time uh, in trees, being an arboreal snake. And it just the crypt, more cryptic they can be, the more likely they are to still be alive. But it's uh, it's a hard life being a snake. You got to figure their food for everything too, right? They're right. food for the birds and the uh, other mammals, and they're just snakes and roads don't go together well at all either. So it's just you know, if they if they had wings, they'd be so much better off. Yeah, but probably work a, out a, work a, bit, out so well. a bit scarier too. <laughs> it, is, it is fascinating because in history, uh, whether it's religious stuff all the way through, even like the 80s and 90s, all the movies, like everything was a snake is demonic or it's just going to eat you like anaconda or even the alligators, which it's, it's just so fascinating. I think it comes from a lack. Yes, they look scary, but the lack of understanding where back in the 60s and 70s, it was so easy to make like demify these animals because it's like we don't know enough about them. But it's like it's actually – like when I when with my nieces and stuff, we go like to zoos or like all this stuff, or like even watch those Disney movies where now the alligators or the snakes are like the good guys. And it's like it's kind of cool to see that kind of that switch where it's like, hey, just because you're an alligator doesn't mean you're it's a bad animal. It's one way or the other, isn't it? It's either people are deathly afraid of them or people are doing the silliest possible things they can so they can put their uh, pick their videos up on Instagram or YouTube so they can get a, a few likes. There's very right. few in between. Uh, unfortunately, there's there's such a fine line there between being education and being entertainment, and people are just consistently taking that that line and pushing it as far as they can because they're making it about themselves instead of making it about the animal. That that's right. the kind of stuff that takes me off. If you're gonna do educational stuff, do educational stuff and leave the entertainment stuff alone because it's just nobody's learning anything from that. They're 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 thinking, you know what? I wonder if I can do something that silly and get away with it. So here, let's go try it. But yeah, I know that that went off topic, but I just I wish people would, if they're going to do educational stuff, would leave it as educational stuff and forget the silly crap. Well, that's why I, social media is such a weird. I mean, it's fascinating, and there's so much negative, and there's a lot of bullshit with it that's not necessary. Like, I don't even. But when it comes to podcasting or showing stuff, like everything you post has to be there has to be some sort of benefit to it, whether it's helps them with mental health, uh, just something positive. It's like this negative stuff. So when it comes to like tiktok through the pandemic and I'd, you'd spend hours because really it was nothing else to do looking at stuff i found myself gravitating towards the people who would talk about like survival skills or the wildlife like i learned more about alligators and flying squirrels and bats and all this crazy eels and stuff from all these shows but it was these people like yourself that you put out this information it's like it's up to me to if i want to know more about this, either follow you more or do my own research. I think the power of social media is really awesome that way that if it promotes that, like you said, that type of further education or just understanding. And I think with like yourself, the alligator Rob stuff you put out there, it's here's a guy that's trying to educate people about what's going on in the animal kingdom. I compare it a lot. Uh, it's very similar to writing a scientific article in my, my point of view. As my job as someone writing a scientific article, it's my responsibility to put good information out there, right? And then it's your responsibility as the person reading it to go, okay, look, wait a second here. 
here's all this data. Now, what exactly is this data telling me? Where can I take it and go with it from here? It's social media is the same kind of thing. You know, you should, I use mine to try to be a blessing to others and to try to, uh, and to try to put good information out there about animals that sometimes people don't know anything about or have a, a false sense of ideas about. Um, you know, just, I, I have a goal to try to be as blessing as many people as I possibly can because many people have been a blessing to me. You know, if it wasn't for, wasn't for wildlife and for, you know, for alligators in general, uh, you know, I, I wouldn't still be here today. So it, it kind of is what it is. And you also, you went through a health scare with your heart year, a couple of years ago. And I find it interesting that here you are helping and educating other people and saving animals and all that stuff. But then in turn, the people that appreciate what you do were able to help you with some of your medical bills, which I mean, that's a whole other discussion in terms of what they get away with. But I thought it was really cool that these people could kind of come and be like, hey, we appreciate what you're doing. I think that was something really cool about your healing process. Yeah. You know, as a person of faith, that's the whole reason I was put in yeah. Chicago in the first place, I believe. Uh, you know, that made that trip up there. A lot of cool things have happened from that. A lot of cool things continue to happen from that. Uh, I think since I caught that gator up there, I've been up there almost 30 times, if not a little bit more. Uh, it, it's it's really blessing after blessing and th that the whole heart thing really was one of those uh yeah i found out a year after being up there that i needed to have open heart surgery um and i had a chest surgery as a kid it was a real serious thing when i was a little guy i had a metal bar for a year they had rebroke all my ribs and reformed my whole chest when i was a little fella and you know, i couldn't find a doctor who was willing to do this surgery they're like man you're you're too high risk like it's not something we're comfortable doing you know i i went all over uh, Mount Sinai up there in New York and uh, Northwestern in Chicago, like, hey, you know, come up, we'll figure it out. Come up, we'll figure it out and do it for you. And I'm like, listen, guys, I'm gonna do something like this. I kind of want to be close to home to people I know and my, my family. And like you guys tell me you can wing it and tell me you can do it or two different things. So, you know, I reached out to my friends up there in Chicago I'd made. They helped, they helped me find the heart doctor who did my heart surgery. And then, yeah, like you're saying, the people that, a lot of people who appreciate what I do and the people up there in Chicago raise the money to, to pay all those health bills off. So it's, uh, as someone who didn't have insurance and was doing this because I love what I do, that was huge yeah. to me. That was two years ago last week. And man, I'm super, uh, super duper blessed without a doubt. You kind of hinted at it, but the, the, the connection with humans and animals, especially when it comes to like, whether it's PTSD or like mental health um, or even kind of like the therapy dog type stuff, it's so interesting how the connection with humans gets stronger and how an animal or even a, a, a random animal that this person falls in love with can help heal them. And it's like, I always wonder if like those animals realize what they're doing or the impact they have. I think they do. Yeah. I, I mean, I think animals are so much slicker than we give them credit for. I really do. I, and especially those, you know, it, it, it could be a dog or a cat or whatever it might be that they, they know what they're doing for you the and same get, way. You, I think they, I think they get it. I really do think they get it. Cause you can see it like the animal, like the cat or dog's eyes specifically, like that you they're emotional. They, they make a noise. It's like, it'd be kind of cool if like, a, so say someone like you got hurt and then you got better and then an alligator like did like this cool tail whip or like you knew he knew. <laughs> like, I, I just, I wish that I wish, I guess for me, I guess I need to get a better understanding and research more how to, how to look at animals if they're hurt. Like if you see a hurt bird, you can tell if it sounds weird, it's walking weird, like there's something wrong with it, right? But some animals that are hurting, I guess like humans too, you just never know until you kind of find out, right? 
Yeah, it's true. I, I know with crocodilians, they don't ever forget interaction they have. I mean, Interesting. literally, they're like, they're like an elephant. They never, ever forget interaction they have. So every time I travel to St. Augustine now and see that see Chance, yeah, really? I'm pretty sure he, he cusses me on contact, I'm pretty sure. As soon yeah. as he sees me, he's like, you jerk, man. You're the, like, you're the dude. Yeah. It made me have that long trip. I'm you taking jerk. too many pictures of this place. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I guess to the point. I don't, I don't think they forget. Right. So if you were abusive to an alligator or you were it was a you you, you rescued it from a zoo or a, a farm that was abusive to them, they don't forget how long does it take for a learned behavior like that to come off of an alligator and feel like he's to be safe around someone like you if it's like a world's research alligators? Uh so I know the research gators, the ones we work with in the wild, they're the same way. Like it if you have an interaction with them, like say you catch them one way, you catch them on a fishing rod you're very unlikely to ever catch them like that again. Cause every time they ever see anybody with a rod in their hand from that ah, point on, yeah. they're gone like a ghost. Um, some of the old school guys who used to be trappers here in Florida, if they went to a golf course, they, you know, they carry, carry a dress shirt and a pair of dress pants with them because man, they know they, they can pick you out of a lineup and go, that guy's the one that doesn't belong. <laughs> like hang away from that dude. It's, it's trained behavior. It's just like with the people, with people, it's very hard for them to get over it. And you've got to keep in mind, that's what's kept them around for so long. Not forgetting those kind of things, knowing that we're bad news. You know, that's a natural thing in their in their uh, system. They go, people, I don't want to be around people. That's uh, not something I want to be around. So I think a lot of times for wildlife, that's a benefit to them. You know, re- remembering those things, those bad things that happened to them, that's kept, that's kept them here. You know, why would they want to forget it? Right. So I can I'll argue that from both directions, really. When you have that Dr. Oz, obviously other experts in the field like that, and that information comes out to you and to your organization, is it difficult to kind of, if if, if information comes out that you're like, this is so left field, but these doctors are saying it, is it tough for you to kind of process that and change your approach to what you do? Or is this something where it's like, like the doctors and stuff in the for the animals and stuff and the virologists and stuff? It's as time goes on, you just adapt and kind of move forward with the new kind of like like the stuff you learned. No, I love I love one surrounding myself with people who know a lot more than me, which isn't hard to do. You know, there's a lot of people that are a lot smarter than me in a lot of things. I love I love surrounding myself with those kind of people where we can all bounce each other, bounce ideas off each other. It's the old school thing, iron sharpens iron. I mean, I want to be around those people who can give me a different perspective. It doesn't mean you have to you have to. Uh, go with what they say but having their perspective and their ideas on things it makes you a better person why you know, why wouldn't i yeah but by all means and if somebody can say hey that you're what you're saying is wrong here's proof of it by all means i love i love the idea i'll look at it a totally different totally different way and be uh on board with with it in a second and it, i guess along those lines is it difficult when you go to like conventions or speaking engagements where there's other people in your field like is there ever a sense where it's like somebody's people have too much ego where they don't accept other information or are willing to adapt. Like you kind of like how you do with some people don't like being surrounded by people that are perceived as smarter, or maybe they are because they feel that obviously they're insecure. Is that ever, I assume that would get in the way of what the actual goal here is, is to protect wildlife. Yeah. It's the, the ego thing within the wildlife world is a, it's a legit thing. It's cool. um, it's a hundred percent a legit thing. When you start making it about yourself and not about the the wildlife you're working with, that's when you've went too far. It's the, like we were talking about earlier uh, on social media. When you see people doing stupid stuff, 
they're making it about them. It's uh, you know, at that point you got to decide: do you want do you want good information or do you want to do you want entertainment? Sometimes right. they do come together, but for the most part, if you see somebody doing something that you think's a little bit silly, it's silly. So yeah, when the ego gets involved, that's when people are starting to look for clicks and uh, and views and seeing how many stupid things they can do <laughs> at the same time. Man, can I stick my head in this thing's mouth and get away with it? Maybe I can. Maybe I can. Yeah, yeah that's uh, that's when they've probably taken it too far. Yeah. You. Uh... But there's a definite line there between uh, ego and and handling things the right way, and they should never they should never go hand in hand. You uh, mentioned being a man of faith. I'm openly Catholic, and I talk about this stuff when I can on the podcast. But I've, as a kid, I was always fascinated with like Noah's Ark, right? Like the two by two and all these animals. It's like I want to believe all that, but when it comes to, like the science of it, it's like, do you know the like whoever the organization or person that finds if this did happen, this Ark and the the remnants of these animals? It's like. I would, it'd be like, that's my holy grail right there. Cause I just, as a kid, I, I just love that story, whether it happened or not. I, the idea what came from it is what you should be getting out of it. Not necessarily that the kangaroos were hanging out with the alligators, but, but so something like that happens, like, it was just so cool as a kid going through like the CCD and like confirmation and like learning about God and all this stuff. It's like, the one thing I was drawn to, I mean, you had Jonah and the whale and you had the Noah's Ark. It's like, I always loved that animals had this sense about them in that aspect i don't know it's so fascinating to me oh yeah i love looking at animal stuff in the bible it's it's re here recently i've been doing a study of serpents in the bible which is man that's a you want to dig into a deep one sometime there's your deep one it's not always bad there's a lot of a lot of wisdom that came from serpents uh, in in biblical times and the different part you know a different part of the world obviously you know right. you're thinking you're thinking middle east and you're thinking at a time long before there were medical treatments. So whenever somebody saw a snake over there, they were they were legit terrified for a reason because that was if they had got if you got bit by one, yeah, you were done. Yeah, that was the that was the end of your that was the end of your line for sure. So it's interesting to look at different uh different things like that. I I I love that kind of stuff. Yeah. Again, it's like just like you as a person of faith, it's um you get some you get some blowback about that sometimes, but for the most part, people in the conservation community we all have our different thoughts and ideas on things. And we, we, especially people in the crocodilian world, we try to build each other up. You know, it, it's not like that. You're not going to say, Hey man, because you're an atheist, I can't work with you. Right. Um, you, you try to, you try to understand people for what they are and what they, what they believe in and uh, love the person for who they are, regardless of any of that, um, which is kind of, kind of my jam. No, hundred percent. It's like, it's one of those things too, for me, it's like, at what point was the first person that like, Hey, we got to give a shit about these animals. Like what was the event? It's like, did the dodo bird go away? Did the, 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 the timber wall, like whatever it was that disappeared at what point did people kind of put their differences aside, come together and be like, what can we do as a human race to save as many animals as we can? Yeah. I've, I've always just kind of like, you hear about wildlife conservation. And for me, it wasn't until I got older through college and realized like there's people out there, organizations that are doing this stuff, but where was this in the 50s? Like it wasn't a thing. And it's like, what caused it to be a thing? And I only can imagine if this was a thing when prohibition was a thing, it's like how much further along we'd be as a civilization. I think if you look back at some, uh, you know, different, different writings, conservation has been around for a very, very, very long time. I think as, as long as we've been around, I think conservation has been there. 
um, in, in one form or another. Maybe not in the form we see it in nowadays, but I, I believe people have been looking after wildlife and habitats and things of that nature for a very long time. You know, zoos are kind of a new thing in the United States. Maybe what uh, you're right. looking back World War One times, World War Two times, but around the world, zoos and conservation has been there for for uh, hundreds of years, uh, maybe thousands. And to your point, I guess when you look at it, like I always love like the Davy Crockett's or like Jim Boob or like the Fred Bear type stuff. But when you look at now, you say that they didn't say they were conservationists, but they were because they promoted yeah. healthy hunting and giving taking from the land what you only need. It's, it's it's such a fascinating. It just I guess maybe my thing was they the the word conservation wasn't a thing. They just did it. They didn't need someone telling them, "Hey, you're a conservationist." You're exactly right. Like, man, you're doing a good thing. You uh, you know what? Those raccoons were overpopulated in that area. Good job, buddy. Super appreciate that. Now now we got some everything else. You know, it's like I said. There's so many sides of that cube, and there it's. I think you're exactly on point. It's been it's been known as, th- as something other than conservation for probably a very long time, and people I'm sure have been doing it forever. Uh, they just have have their different different methods behind it. So before I let you go, if someone wants to help out with the organization or get more informed, do we send them to your website? Like, where are some things they could do uh, to kind of figure out maybe they want to join and jump and help you out or learn more about certain animals and stuff like that? Yeah, so they can go to alligatorrob, uh, R-O-B-B.com, or ears, E-E-A-R-S-S.com, or .org. They all take you to the same place. Uh, yeah, we're, you know, we're actively searching for funding for our research. Uh, man, research gets expensive. You know, a lot of the different samples we, we take are being done in kind by the universities that we, that we send them to. Some of them samples are 10,000 bucks a piece, wow. which they're taking care of that part. Uh, we need, we need help for funding for fuel and, uh, and vehicles and boats. And it just, it's, uh, every time I think we're getting somewhere, we realize, man, we don't have quite enough to make it happen. So it's, uh, yeah, funding's a huge thing. And, We'll be having our EcoFest event. We had one last year. We'll be doing the same thing again this year. It'll be uh, November the 11th, which awesome. is Veterans Day weekend at uh, Sandpoint Park up in Titusville. We'll be doing that again this year. So by all means, if you find yourself in uh, in Titusville, come say howdy. Uh, super appreciate it. We have our, again, we have our podcast. Yep. <clears throat> we, do, we, we, do, we do that with a local high school. So we go there, it allows the kids to run the video and the audio and the sound and the graphics and kind of learn how to do the background and all that. So they help us kind of design the program and it's really fun to, to have the school and the public, the public school system involved with that. It's uh, something I had been wanting to do for a very long time and I'm super happy it's came together. That's awesome. Could I adopt an alligator? Is that possible? Uh, if you have the right permits, you can get yourself an alligator. Yep. If I wanted someone like you to take care of it, could I go through your, like in terms like some of those organizations where people would always give me like, I love owls. Oh, we, you adopted a, uh, a barred owl from Wyoming. Okay, cool. Like, what is it? What do I, when I give money, which I want to give, is that something you could do? Or are those organizations, I guess my question is, are those organizations really helping the animals or is it going to pay people to sit in an office and send out those form emails? There is, <laughs> that's hilarious. There's nothing wrong with asking the people what your money is being used for. Um, there's a lot of very, very good organizations out yes. there around around our country that are doing very important things uh, for our environment and the people working in it. 
it's uh, if you're concerned about that, I would suggest adding a note to your donation. Like, hey, look, I want this to specifically go for research for this. Yeah. Or I want this to fund your your next vehicle or your next boat. Or uh, here's money specifically for education. You know, our big things are our research and education. That's what we yeah. spend we spend pretty much all of our time on. Uh, we don't have a whole lot of time for anything else. We do keep some animals, but those are specifically for education. We don't take anything else really in. Uh, so yeah, we we wouldn't be adopting an alligator, but uh, I could point you to some people that probably would for you. No, I love it. This uh, this has been awesome, uh, Frank. Thank you for taking your time today, and uh, we'll have to do it again soon. Brother, it's been a blast. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, hello. I'm just enjoying this nice fucking candle. Anyways, I'm John, the host of Spear Talk, and I want to talk to you about nice fucking candles. We are lucky to have nice fucking candles as a sponsor of the podcast, and if you use code SPEARTALK15, you get 15% off your first order, or use the affiliate link below to always get your candle needs through nice fucking candles. Nice fucking candles are 100% soy wax. They have a 65-hour burn time, maybe more, if you... Uh, nurse the flame a little bit maybe i don't know i'm not an expert on flames uh, or candles but i will say these things burn a long fucking time you ask me about the wick it's a double wick for even burning which is amazing and uh they come in three incredible flavors uh i'm not sure if you're going to be eating these candles but if you do like them the scents are eucalyptus and ginseng tobacco and fireside and seaside and driftwood once again uh nice fucking candles they are the candle company for spear talk and if you love candles and need a good scent to clear out your office, your room, your podcast room, your weight room, uh, your whatever you're doing in a room that smells like crap, use this candle. It's amazing. Thank you. Check them out. Love nice fucking candles. Emily Roger, and I host a leadership show called The Boiling Point with my co-host, Dave Vale. Together, we sit down with trailblazing entrepreneurs, thought leaders, and movement makers who are driving meaningful change in our world. The show is all about exploring the lives and perspectives of leaders who are making a difference. Join us for insightful conversations that challenge the status quo, spark new ideas, and inspire you to take action. Find us on Apple, Spotify, YouTube, or at BoilingPointPodcast.com. The Podcast Super Friends is a monthly meeting of five podcast producers. Hi, I'm Catherine O'Brien from Branch Out Programs in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. I'm John Gay from Jagged Detroit Podcasts. I'm Matt Kundle from the Sound Off Podcast Network. I'm David Yes from Pod 617, the Boston Podcast Network. And I'm Johnny Peterson from Straight Up Podcasts. Together, they form the Podcast Super Friends, an alliance of podcast masterminds sharing best practices, insights, and discussions to help make you a better podcaster. Follow or subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or at soundoff.network.